the VP of sales or the VP of sales and marketing? VP of sales. I, I was the VP of sales and marketing, but we just actually brought on another marketing executive in the business. Oh, is that good or bad that you don't have to worry about that anymore? That's not bad. <laughs> it's fine with me, says Kirk. Let's let somebody else do the marketing. Hello and welcome to Make It, Move It, Sell It. On this podcast, I talk with company leaders about how they're modernizing the business of making, moving, and selling products. And of course, having fun along the way. I'm your host, Adam Honig, the CEO of Spiro.ai. We make amazing AI software for companies in the supply chain, but we are not talking about that today. Instead, we're talking with Kirk Reiniger, the VP of sales for Ennis Fabrics which is, in my opinion, possibly the best international distributor of globally sourced technologies and supplies in the world. Welcome to the podcast, Kirk. Thank you for having me, Adam. I appreciate that. We're globally sourced textiles. And what do you find to be the most popular textiles? Well, it's different. I guess we're a bit unique from an industry perspective, Adam, in that we service uh, a wide variety of markets. So from a business perspective, we sell anything through to furniture manufacturers to somebody who's repairing or refurbishing a, a boat. So it depends on our customer would determine what's the favorite textile. Gotcha. Do you have a favorite textile? Like there's one thing that you're like, you know, trying to sneak home from the office every day so you can like make a couch out of it or something like that. <laughs> We've got one product called Challenger and it's the best seller in our company. So uh, there might be a little bit of it around my home for sure. All right. Challenger, huh? Sounds good. I'll have yeah. to look that up. Hey, I was hearing that Ennis Fabric turned 50 years old like a couple of days ago. Is that true? Yeah. June 1st was our 50th anniversary. So we're really proud of that. Right. Well, I know, you know, a lot of companies uh, that maybe are not quite 50 year old would love to know, you know, any sort of tips or anything that you feel like you could, you know, maybe pass along is that what made you guys so successful over those years? For sure. It's there's a long history to the business, and I won't bore the listeners with it, but it was started by uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ennis, now a second generation in the business, and we have third generation family in the business. And staying true to the original spirit of the business, as the business grows, there's no question it gets more complex and more difficult uh, to manage as you grow across geographies or grow across markets. But I would say the, uh, the secret sauce from our perspective is uh, stay true to the core of the business. And the customer's got to be out front of that at all times. If profits or operational excellence become the core of the business and no longer the customer, my opinion anyway, is that's not a recipe for success. That's right. So really like keeping the customer in mind all throughout as as the company grows. And I bet having the family connection really helps with that. Yeah, like from an internal culture perspective, we're a family-owned business, but we're an employee-run company. The family can't run the business anymore. It's getting to be too big and too complex. But we work very hard to maintain the spirit of the family culture and the original culture of the business that, that Mr. and Mrs. Ennis started it with. So we've got Jim Ennis, who's our president and CEO, but he's got four sisters that aren't in the day-to-day business, but they're in the office on occasion and just continue to bring the family back into the conversation. So uh, in fact, we just had dinner last night celebrating the 50th anniversary. So it was great to connect with the family. That's awesome. I was recently at one of our other customers and they had like uh, in the hallway, the grandfather who started the business, like an oil painting of him and like the son who is the former CEO and now the third generation. So it sounds like that kind of situation for you guys a little bit. Yeah, we've got the same photography concept in our boardroom. 
Gotcha. There must be somebody who specializes in that. Like their whole business is about doing the family portraits for family businesses or something like that. I don't know. That sounds like a business we should invent if, <laughs> if it doesn't exist already. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the original picture might have been a Polaroid, but I think the newer ones are better quality. Nice. Now, as you're leading the sales efforts at NS, you know, I know one of the things that you guys really focus on is helping the sales team focus on like your tier one accounts. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got to the notion of really segmenting your accounts and getting the team to focus on them? For sure. As I mentioned at the beginning, we've got uh, quite a diverse customer base across multiple markets. And as the business grew, it was apparent uh, that we had to understand the markets differently and we had to build uh, business processes and, and product development strategies differently across different markets. We started segmenting the customers 20 years ago, and I think we're up to 40 or 45 different market segments from a customer segmentation perspective, which adds challenge from a sales organization perspective, uh, because when the company was young, the sales team could essentially take care of all customers in all markets. As the business grew, we had no choice but to move into more of a specialization from a sales-facing perspective to ensure that our sales team were the product experts for our customers. And as sales territories grew and just the business grew, one of the challenges was ensuring that our basically our call cycle was managed properly and we were covering all of our customers and ensuring that we were talking to the right customers at the right time, depending on when they needed to see us. So using technology to help us measure and manage and monitor that call cycle approach uh, that ensured we were speaking to A customers a certain number of weeks and B customers a different number of weeks and C customers a different number of weeks was really important for us to assist the team because it became a bit difficult to manage on a spreadsheet. For sure. You know, in talking to a lot of distributors, like the notion of kind of staying present with people who are potentially ordering products is really important. But of course, the sales team can't be with everybody, as you said. So having that segmentation allows you to really put the efforts in the right place. We did some work with this um, biotechnology company, and they actually did a chart of how frequently their sales teams met with people and what the order cadence was. And there was typically a pretty strong relationship between the number of meetings and what the orders were going to be in the future. Is that something that you guys have looked at at all? For, for sure. There's no question that being present and top of mind from a customer facing perspective is really important for us. We like to say we want to be number one on the speed dial with our customers. So from a sales facing perspective, really important. But we also then built a, an internal infrastructure to support our customers when that sales rep just they're not always available and they can't always stop and do, you know, drive across the city or whatever the case may be. So we've got an internal customer-facing group as well that would handle the the day-to-day activities with the customers and allow my sales force to go through their cadence and presenting new products and where required troubleshooting or escalation of of potential issues and things of that nature. So we've really taken sort of an inside-outside feel, inside-team approach, and that seems to have worked uh, very well for us. Yeah, that that makes total sense. I I was thinking about this different customer that we were working with, and they when they mapped out the activities against orders, they found that a, a certain percentage of their sales team were spending a lot of time with customers who weren't ordering almost at all. And when we really dug into the data, it turned out that they just really liked the people 
at those accounts. And so in sales, of course, building rapport is such an important thing and, and getting to know people and building that trust and stuff like that. But sometimes it, it seems like it can go pretty wrong at the same time. No question. So visibility um, and access to the information is obviously the key. That is a common problem. And in a uh, an older school or more traditional sales model where it's, hey, just go make five calls a day and you make your five calls a day and everybody's happy. But digging into what were the five calls and how often are you going to see the same person over and over and over again? Why are you going to see that person 10 times a month kind of thing? So yeah. access to that information and that data is critical for proper management of the customer base and proper management of the call structure. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. Now, I, I know a lot of our customers have really shifted their sales model in the past couple of years, how they operate, first due to the pandemic and then due to the changes in technology and stuff like that. And how has that experience been for you guys? Have you uh, noticed any different changes in the way you're running the sales team? Yeah, for sure. And in fact, some of the bigger changes are how our customers are accepting communications and selling activities. So obviously, through the pandemic, a significant number of customers were either closed or very limited to people coming to see them. So from an internal perspective, our team had to shift. We were, go see the customers and follow your route and do your thing. But all of a sudden, now customers said, I don't want you to come see me anymore. So that was a big shift, a big mental shift for our sales team. You've got uh, stallions out on the road that you've got to figure out how to put them in the stable, so to speak, and still keep them productive. So a lot of training and education and learning around video conferencing and even just, you know, simple telephone communications, now text messages, all the different ways that a customer can communicate with you, direct messaging and chats. And, and uh, so we had to do a lot of training and education in those tools and investment in resources. But as difficult, it was Okay, how do we get the messages that we want to get out to our customers when we can't go see them? So uh, we had to really retrench from and accelerate, I guess, our digital marketing tactics and digital communication tactics with these customers. And some now are saying, you know what, I really don't need to see a salesperson quite as often as I thought I used to. And now my salespeople are also saying, I don't think I've got to go see the customers quite as often as I used to and use technology uh, to supplement around that. So no question had a big change on us, but from an evolutionary perspective, probably at the end of the day makes us more efficient. It's really interesting. So we have a, a, a customer who makes these room-sized crushing machines. Basically, if you wanted to take big boulders and make them into gravel, that's what they sell, right? I don't even know how much they weigh, multi-ton machines. And of course, when they sell them, they bring them to the customer side and demonstrate them. And they were like, how the heck are we going to do that on Zoom? But they figured it out. They were like, okay, we're going to do these videos and we're going to do this thing. And you send us, you know, we'll give you the sample of the output, like the crushed rock, and we'll send you the quality of that. And so a lot of people have really embraced the change that's come through to really revamp their sales process. It's interesting. It's almost like I wouldn't have guessed that that was going to be the outcome of this era. Well, it's interesting because being a textile company, we years ago would have never thought somebody would have purchased a sofa online, that somebody would have purchased clothing online and everybody wanted to touch it, feel it, check it out and deliver it to my house and the world of e-commerce and, and just the digital tactics that are out there now, you have no choice but to evolve or you're going to get left behind. 
Right. I was reading about this thing, especially in clothing purchases online, where a lot of people are ordering multiple sizes at once. You don't know if you're like, I'm typically a size, you know, nine sneaker, but I'll buy the eight and a half, the nine and the nine and a half all in one go. And I'll just return two of them. Right. And what I've been reading is actually a lot of companies can't when they get a, a RMA back in that they can't actually resell it. So there's quite a lot of waste going on. I imagine nothing really like that happens in your business, but it's interesting to think about all the different implications that come out of this change that we're going through. Obviously, the giant in the room is a, is an Amazon. We have customers that are selling B2C e-commerce, and we do some blind ship, drop ship a product and things of that nature. But if we had to deal with all the returns because of buyer's remorse or it's not exactly the blue that I thought it was going to be, we wouldn't be doing it either. Yeah, it would be uh, operationally from a distribution perspective, it would be a logistics nightmare. Uh, so I'm glad it's their problem and not mine. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. You guys don't compete with Amazon in any way, I assume. No, no. Now, we there are textile companies that sell on Amazon, as an example, but we don't compete directly with them. We're a, we're a wholesale company, a B2B wholesale company. And I've been reading about something kind of called the Amazon effect, which is an expectation with customers about levels of service and delivery that people are getting from Amazon. Do you feel like that's in your customer base as well? Do you get that sense at all? There's no question it's had an impact. Our business model has always been uh, speed of service. So if you order your product from us by 2 p.m. local time, depending on which distribution center, you get it tomorrow. Through, the cur- through a courier network. The reality is from our wholesale business, we're actually experiencing a bit of the opposite through the pandemic and all the supply chain and logistical issues that are out there in the world today. Nobody expects it. I shouldn't say nobody, but most don't expect it tomorrow anymore because I can give it to a courier company and he might deliver it in four days. It's so it's become so unreliable. So there's hospitalities the same way. I'm back traveling, I'm on the road, and you can choose which day of the four or five days you're going to be there that you get your room made back up. Uh, Room service, no, you can't have that. It's Uber Eats. Just that that service experience has definitely changed, and the pandemic's changed it for the better or the worse. I don't know yet. That Amazon expectation, there's no question it's it's, uh, that instant gratification society makes it more and more challenging every day to perform to the expectation. The other big challenge that we've been hearing a lot about is because a lot of companies are supply challenged, that they're really limiting the number of new customers that they're bringing on board. As a matter of fact, we have one customer in the electrical conduit business who flat up told me, yeah, we're not taking any new accounts. We're doing everything we can to service our existing customers. And even then, we had to drop the lowest tier off. We just couldn't provide the products to them. How is that going for your business? We've actually taken the exact opposite approach through kind of through difficult times and 50 years history of the business has been a few difficult times and some ups and downs and bumps. But we've always taken a a philosophical approach that when things get tough, we accelerate. So fortunate to have a very, very stable ownership and, and a cash positive company. So we actually used that stability as a sales strategy. We call it use it, use cash as a weapon in our industry, and we actually purchased more inventory than we wanted or needed and allowed us to be the company that when if it wasn't available somewhere else, 
You could call us and we had it. We shipped it. We took a much more aggressive approach. We didn't retrench at all. We accelerated. Gotcha. So using inventory is your strategic advantage. In 100%. That sense. Yeah. And when supply chain is difficult, people that are less sophisticated from a supply chain management perspective struggle. And the people that are more sophisticated from a supply chain management perspective can grow and succeed. Gotcha. And I know you have your own operation in mainland China. Do you feel like that helps with this strategy or is that just the normal way you would do business anyhow? No, that for sure helped with the strategy. It helps with the strategy anyways, but we've had that operation for 25 years. And the reality is the textile industry is heavily dominated somewhere in Asia. And so we we took a position that we required our own operating company in mainland China, probably close to 25 years ago with our own employees. It's our own company. And in order to do what we needed to do as a business, you had to manage the, the quality and the quality control. That's always the biggest challenge. So we essentially created a quality control operation and a container consolidation operation to multiple distribution centers in North America. Gotcha. Gotcha. It sounds using the inventory as a strategic weapon really lets you lean into a place where your competitors are you're not able to make those investments. So that's, I think that's really important. If I had to think about the different things we talked about today, using the inventory as a strategic weapon, segmenting and really focusing on the customer needs in, as you build out that segmentation, that's also a really great takeaway for people here today. So I think we've covered a lot of really good ground here, Kirk. So I really want to thank you for, uh, for joining us on the, the podcast. Not a problem. Glad I could do it and call me anytime. All right. Sounds good. Well, listen, as a reminder for everybody who's uh, listening in here, you can find every episode of the Make It, Move It, Sell It podcast at Spiro.ai backslash podcast. And if you really want to have some fun, you should try saying that three times. But in the meanwhile, if you'd like to subscribe, you can do so right on our website or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you thought what Kirk and I were talking about was interesting today, why not give us a, a good rating? I know Kirk would appreciate that. And if you're looking for fabrics, I sure hope that you know uh, Ennis Fabrics is the place to go. With that, I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in, and we'll look forward to speaking to you at the next episode.